0: The Big Vets on Campus Podcast. Podcast.
1: Podcast. All right, here we go. Spreading the court. Ten seconds remaining. They just
2: got to throw it under the basket. Under the basket. It's the truth for the win. Gone. Oh, they get it. A miracle. It. Double order. Hit that one from the parking lot.
1: Welcome to the Big Bets on Campus podcast presented by Bet MGM. I am your host, Kai McEwen, joined by the rest of the three-man weave crew, Matt Cox and Jim Root. Today, we are cannonballing into the deep end of the Sweet 16, previewing every game on both Thursday and Friday. Goliath or Cinderella, it's win or go home. We're talking sides, maybe some totals, and of course, any possible props that might jump out to us. Not really a prop group, the three-man weave, but... You never know where you can find value in March Madness. Let's jump right into it. Chronological order. We are starting with the Thursday games with Michigan State and Kansas State. 6.30 p.m. Eastern tip in New York City. Jim Root, what do you got?
2: Well, yeah, we've got the surprise line here. Michigan State favorite. I I don't think many people expected that. Kansas State was an underdog to Kentucky. Okay, I sort of saw that um, given the talent level of Kentucky. But seeing Kansas State a dog to Michigan State really raised an eyebrow. I guess they're giving Michigan State a lot of credit for the time they played without Malik Hall from a predictive standpoint. It's interesting, Matt. Sparty is here in the Sweet 16, despite having shot terribly from beyond the arc, and that's kind of been their calling card all year. They don't take a ton. They're not like mega reliant on the three, but they have been a top 10 three-point shooting team all season by efficiency that hasn't been the case. Their two-point defense has been dominant to this stage. Really a impressive work by Sissoko, Hauser-Hall, and the paint, taking that away from both of their first two opponents. I just think that's going to be really tough against Kansas State, who is much more dynamic offensively. They've got the two best players on the floor. Noel's speed really took over against Kentucky. Kante Johnson didn't even have that good of a game, and they still moved on against the Wildcats. I can't help it. I like Kansas State getting points here with arguably the two best players on the floor. And I don't feel like this is any sort of coaching mismatch with Izzo versus a first year guy. I'm riding with Tang, Matthew. Tang
0: game for me. Yeah, this one's tough. Like the Michigan State scoring, it, it's weird to think of Michigan State as an offensive leaning team. And that's kind of what they've uh, turned into to, down the stretch, which fueled their recent run here. Um, it, just the shot making of Hogarth and Walker, I, I know they haven't shot well from three to date, but every team. Uh, has been kind of suffering from that same, uh, you know, three point regression lull. It's been a lot's been made of how poor three point shooting has been in the tournament so far. They've made a lot of mid range tough shots, though, and tough twos in clutch moments. Um, I think you have two guards that have that clutch team. Michigan State, K State only has one, but I I like the one on K State side. I mean, Noel, just the way he's playing, the way he can get into the teeth of the defense, completely, um, car people up. I am trusting K-State here. I cannot believe that, Kai. been an anti-K-State guy all season. Um, Michigan State, I think, played very well in those first two rounds. I think they benefited from really, really poor efforts from USC and a Marquette team that was playing without their best player at 100%, who also played his worst game of the season. So I'm kind of poking holes in the two games it took Sparty to get here and uh, more impressed with, I guess, K-State's efforts. Yeah,
1: I kind of agree that too, weirdly, even though Michigan State played Marquette. Yeah, I have no clue why Michigan State's favored. I Honestly, it makes no sense to me. Uh, I'm trying to break it down and like understand the bookmaker's process here. I just don't get it. K-State's higher in Kempom. They're the better seed. They're higher in Bart since February 15th. I don't understand. I, I don't get the disrespect for Kansas State. Marquise Noel, this is a huge opportunity for him. He's from New York City. It's a big moment. We love guards in March, and this would be a great story for him to win this game. Coaching, pretty near even for me. I'm a big Tang guy. I, that's how much... I like Tang. I'm putting him pretty close to Izzo uh, on that tier. I'm just not scared of Michigan State, man. They're solid on both ends, but they're not elite. K-State is near elite on defense. They scrap, they work hard. I took the Cats, guys. I found a plus two, and I jumped on it. Kansas State for me. There you go, Kai. We're
2: seeing some action come in on uh, on K-State as we record, down to one and a half. Uh, This is, we're recording on, on Wednesday morning Pacific time, seeing a little bit of buyback. The one other angle worth mentioning this is one of the few totals in this entire tournament that's been but up a little bit uh, from openers at certain places. Considering how strong the unders have been, are you guys
1: feeling the over real quick, Kai? Or are you thinking, uh, let's just keep riding the under train? I, yeah, I don't have much of a feel here. Uh, didn't overs do really well last round, if I'm not mistaken? My, my yeah, totally there's off a base. lot of fouling, especially on Sunday. Yeah. Saturday, I think yeah, there was Sunday. still a bunch of unders, but Sunday had had quite a few overs. Not a huge feel here. I guess gut says under. Um
0: Neither team wows me offensively, so I just kind of lean towards that way. But nothing strong there on the on the total. I heard Jim uh, Adam Burke over at ESPN talk about how MSG is known as an under venue um, for co- especially in college games. Inter- interesting to see this game bet up. The other game in this region we'll talk about was was bet pretty heavy to the under. So I guess just something to keep in mind if you're into those venue related angles. All right, I Michigan move. State oh. controls tempo. They they
2: did the same thing to Marquette. That was a relatively easy under until some of the late shot making. So Kai. Mm-hmm. I,
1: I lean towards the under on that one as well. Right on, right on. Let's continue with Arkansas, UConn. Jim, you're going to be at this game in Vegas. What an awesome set of games you get to see in Vegas. We'll talk about the, the, the next one in just a little bit. But Arkansas versus UConn. UConn favored by four now across the board. It was three and a half this morning. The UConn's taking a bit of money here. I even see some four and a half out there uh, for the Huskies. Worth noting, Kempom does make this one, I think, five or six. I, I, I have not checked recently on that one. Matthew, we're going to you first. Who do you like in this game? Also, total-wise, we're sitting at around 139, 140.
0: Went back and forth in this one as well. I think the market's pretty sharp on both side and total here. Um, I think Connecticut was the more impressive team, to be honest, in the first two. Obviously, both teams were mega-impressive. Arkansas beating Kansas is no joke. Um, but just the way UConn responded to two really, really tough coaching challenges, a ton of pressure eyeballs on that program with Dan Hurley's early, early tournament failures takes care of Iona easily of, you know, renowned tournament coach and Rick Pitino. They put away St. Mary's pretty easily too. I mean, obviously 15 points. It was closer later than I think maybe the final score indicates, but that's a hard team to blow out and to do it on a neutral court, to see them making shots, Jim, I think that actually carries over here that momentum. Um, The talent gap here, not very big. Um, Arkansas, I think that's what kind of gave them the edge against Kansas is just pound for pound. Arkansas may have been the more talented team, even though Kansas kind of has that championship pedigree. Uh, I think the talent gap here rises for UConn. That negates what's helped Arkansas get to this point, and I will probably be losing money betting against Eric Musselman in the tournament for the third straight year, Jim. Hey, he's only seven and eight against the spread in the tournament. This is not some masterclass
2: muscleman impossible to to top him in March. I think he's like three of his last four, but even some of the wins to get to the elite eight in the past, he hasn't covered those spreads. So it's not like it's an auto bet muscleman. You mentioned the shot making for UConn. Kai's said it all year when this team makes shots, they are unbeatable. And they've been over 40% in both of their first two games Mm -hmm. from beyond the arc. Last game against St. Mary's, you got to combine seven for nine from Newton and Hawkins. Uh, That is nearly impossible to stop, especially with the way Sonogo was playing bully ball. This is probably my least confident game from a side perspective in this round. A slight lean towards Arkansas, but it's just hard to trust either team for me. I don't feel great about uh, the shot decision making, the shot selection for each team. That, that really is where I get stuck, Kai. So maybe I'll lean to the under
1: on the total, but gosh, th- this one is a real challenge, I think, to handicap. I agree. Uh, Eric Musselman, by the way, another double-digit down victory for them. Uh, Arkansas, they're down 12 to KU, 15 minutes left, and they win outright, and he does this every single tournament. I don't get it. I don't understand. It's almost like you don't want to be up by 10 or more against Arkansas because you know they're going to come back and win. Um, Yeah, I agree with Matt here. Arkansas, extremely talented. UConn, pretty close. Arkansas, though, doesn't play like a team, man. I think it's more individuals out there than it is a team. Their lack of shooting is going to be really tough against UConn. You cannot score inside against UConn. Perhaps to get to the line, UConn does uh, have quite a high foul rate, and Arkansas has been known to have success from the free throw line this season. But UConn has the glass advantage. Again, Jim mentioned it, too. When they hit shots, they're the best team in the country. They are at their peak. They have that top gear. I'm not sure Arkansas does. So I do like UConn here a little bit, but I am scared to fade the horseshoe up Bus' butt. There you go. How about that for a line?
2: I just don't get why he's not playing Nick Smith again. Like he's back in yep, the doghouse. No points against Kansas. I thought the best version of Arkansas would involve Nick Smith, and it it didn't against Kansas. But I think they need him if they're going to beat UConn. So if he continues to be in the doghouse, I I do lean the Huskies. Potentially a a live bet there if it seems like he's just going to be benched. Absolutely.
1: Next one, FAU, Tennessee. I'm glad we got the Owls guys to the Sweet 16. No offense to Fairleigh Dickinson, but we've been on the Florida Atlantic train all season long. Heck, Matt's been to a game in person. This one tips off in New York City after Michigan State, Kansas State at 9 p.m. Eastern. Realistically, probably a little bit after that. The line out there, five and a half, pretty much across the board in favor of the Vols. Got a pretty low total here, 130 and a half, 131. Jim, I said I'd basically take FAU blind because I love them so much, but I will admit four or five is kind of low, five, five and a half, but it's a really good team. What do you think? Yeah, I thought it would be
2: more, but then Ken Love's got it four, which is shocking. Wow. Like, yeah. and that's if you factor in the year long of having Ziegler and whether you think this. Tennessee version is significantly worse or even a little bit worse. It, that that tells them more towards three, three and a half. But FAUs are spending that good. And I think this is a problem matchup for Tennessee. They have not played teams that can shoot all year in the SEC. They did not play a team that could shoot in Duke in the round of 32. The Cajuns could a little bit in the first round. They don't prefer to do that, but they can shoot. And I think that helped them keep that close a little bit. Now you take on FAU who just lives to space the floor four out with a bunch of different playmakers, a bunch of different creators. I think FAU can shoot and, and stay in this and kind of give Tennessee a little bit of a rude awakening from the perimeter. It's just, can they handle the toughness, the, the physicality that Tennessee is going to bring? That's what kind of punk Duke. I'm sure Plovsik is going to hit golden in the face with an elbow early <laughs> to try to set the tone. Golden is no slouch, though. So I don't expect him to back down. And Dusty may joke that they were going to watch rugby to prepare for this one and yes. this potential matchup against the brawlers that Tennessee throws out there. I think they're up to the task, Matt. The depth, the two, two-headed monster they have up front to, to use fouls if need be. It could be tough on the defensive glass given the size, athleticism that Tennessee throws at you in waves. But I just trust FAU's offense, the game plan, and their ability to step up in that physicality class. Like, they already beat Memphis. That, that's a physical monster. Uh, I don't think there's anything crazy new to them. I like FAU back in the underdog position here.
0: Yeah, I mean, I have a million reasons why I love FAU in general and in this game. Um, but I want to hit on two things that I think are going to ultimately dictate the outcome. I, first is how this game is refereed. Um, the whistle, which I thought really was the prevailing edge for Tennessee against Duke. I'm not saying you know you can litigate how loose or how you know accurate the whistle was called in that game. If the refs let the boys play, Tennessee will certainly have a big edge in this game. Um, Just the way it's going to go.
2: 245th nationally in defensive free throw rate. And they committed
0: 11 fouls versus total, total, both halves. total, right. Which I I mean, they they committed, they committed more than that. They just weren't called. Let's just call it how it was. Mm -hmm. Um, But again, I think that's kind of the thing with the SEC, right? It's they come out of that league uh, where, you know, the the referees come from everywhere and this is sort of, you don't know what you're going to get. We'll see how it's called. I think the whistle being whistled like it was against Duke. gives a huge edge to Tennessee, However, I think FAU is up to the physical boxing match challenge, unlike Duke. Like, this FAU team, mm-hmm. they're not big, but they're older than Duke. I think people talk about FAU being a young team, but their freshman sophomores are like COVID freshman sophomores. They're not like the green, green, just-out-of-high-school mm-hmm. grassroots guys like Proctor, who, like, is 17, and, um, you know, in Whitehead. So, I, I think, and, and Filipowski, uh, I think FAU actually has, like, some real grit to them, even though they're not all that big. I worry, though, Kai, FAU's one matchup issue this season was middle Tennessee kind of a physical type of team that that's kind of how they make their pay and they struggled to kind of get separation from them in their two wins they actually lost to them on the road I look at that as a precedent that gives me some pause but I've been all in on this FAU team all year I just trust the mojo they have right now Uh, now they're back as the underdog spot after the being the favorite the villain against FDU man I just like that they make some shots get out in transition Mm -hmm. I think they actually can pull off the upset here yeah
1: I I do too but Jim's point about the rugby game, what, what, what may said in his presser and your point about if they, if the refs call this uh, in Tennessee's favor, it's going to be really a really big challenge. I think because of how physical, how tough, how rough, dirty, maybe Tennessee plays, if the refs aren't calling it close, they can be anybody in the country. They, they're that physical and that overwhelming to, to face when they're allowed to do that. Um, but FAU is tough. I agree. Totally. John L. Davis, one of the tougher guys in the country, in my opinion, in the backcourt. I agree they are much older than they look on paper. They they are mostly juniors and sophomores, really, not freshmen, sophomores. Right. And they're, they're, they're a team. They're not Arkansas individual players. They're a team. Multiple guys can beat you. They're connected on offense and defense, a very good interior defense, need to force Tennessee to shoot, hope they're cold, keep them off the glass. I think they kind of can. Um, I think it's competitive, close. I'm taking FAU, Jim. Yeah,
2: from a one player prop perspective, Matt, you've mentioned you think one of FE's weaknesses is if you post up the four man because they just don't have size. I think Kamwa can have another huge game here for Tennessee. Huge. Yes. Play him. Yeah. Play him alongside Adu and Plasic. I think they're going to go through Kamwa, make Nellie Davis guard in the post, make, make Elijah Martin try to D up there. That's a real issue. If you can't play. A, do Implacic off the court with spacing, then Kamwa could have a monster game. I think looking at um, his points or rebounds or combined overs are potential good luck there. College Hoops betting is heating up, so get in on the action with the king of sportsbooks. Sign up with BetMGM using bonus code ACTION and get up to $1,000 paid back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Visit betmgm.com for terms and conditions. Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Kansas, Louisiana, Michigan, Mississippi, Nevada, New Jersey, New York, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Puerto Rico, Tennessee, Virginia, Washington, D.C., West Virginia, Wyoming, or Ontario only. Must be 21 or older to wager, 19 or older in Ontario, new custom offer only. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility agreements. Rewards issued as not withdrawable free bets or site credit. Free bets expire seven days from issuance. This excludes Michigan disassociated persons. Call or text the Tennessee Redline at 800-889-9789, or call 1-888-777-9696 in Mississippi. In Ontario, if you have questions or concerns about your gambling or someone close to you, please contact Connects Ontario at 1-866-531-2600 to speak to an advisor free of charge. Sports betting is void in Georgia, Hawaii, and Utah, and other states where prohibited. Promotional offers not available in Nevada and New York.
1: Moving on to the nightcap in Las Vegas: Gonzaga versus UCLA. Around 945 Eastern tip here. It's the matchup we all wanted here. Zags, UCLA, man, what a, uh, it's going to be an awesome, awesome game. Of course, a rematch of the previous Final Four game we saw a few years ago, which was also incredible. Hey, money coming in right now on the Zags. It's pretty much painted one and a half now everywhere. UCLA was a two, I think even two and a half point favorite at one point. High-ish total, though maybe not as high as we'd expect. We'll see. It's a bit of a pace battle in this game. 145.5, 146 right now. Matthew,
0: who do you think gets it done here? Uh, I like Gonzaga. I I really do. I'm wondering if the money, which could just be late money, of course. uh, People probably waiting to bet later in the week at higher limits. But I think it's mostly NG-related as people are tracking the Bona updates. It looked a lot more ominous Um, when he went down last weekend, uh, all signs reporting to him playing this week. But it's just been one of those recurring uh, shoulder things that you can't trust or feel 100% confident he's going to go or he's not going to go. And if he goes, how well is he going to play? And not to belittle that point, but he is absolutely critical against Gonzaga. Um, You know, I would think he would be a candidate to check Timmy if he was in there. Um, Well, it's curious how Cronin decides to handle that. Uh, I think the bigger interesting and the more interesting part here, Jim, is how fast this game's played, how much does UCLA try and slow it down, and does that actually work to their favor? Uh, I tend to think it actually works against them sometimes because um, they're actually pretty good in transition when they get out there. But against Gonzaga, I think you're walking into a uh, you're walking on, on fire there if uh, you get into a track with those guys.
2: Yeah, I think you want to slow down Gonzaga, frustrate them, take away the running game where they just get the ball and walk it up. It's what Arkansas did to him last year. They just got sick of trying to run against a great transition defense, and that takes away an awesome aspect of the zag offense. They are a steamroller when they get running. Uh, The other injury news with monitoring here, David Singleton for UCLA. He, He had the ankle roll that we were worried was a knee. There's video of him walking to the bus yesterday for UCLA. He looks healthy, fine. He's obviously not cutting or jumping in that view, but he's not limping, seems to be in good spirits. They need him. Otherwise, you're going to get what a lot of Dylan Andrews, I guess, it, it, a lot of like they're basically going to play five guys. Campbell, Hockeisen, and, and Bailey played 38 minutes against Northwestern. Probably going to be 38 to 40 in this game again. That makes me lean towards under. They are really going to turn this into a grinder given their lack of depth. So lean the under, Kai, I slightly into UCLA on side because I just don't believe in the Gonzaga defense, mm-hmm. and I'll take issue with the, this being the matchup we all wanted to see, because I wanted my Frogs here. I wanted oh, UCLA and the Frogs. And I know Stucky did it as well. So that, that's hurtful. But uh, this is a great game, nonetheless. Excited to see it in Vegas. It's going to be an awesome atmosphere, because both mm. fan bases have been here for Pac-12 tournament. They'll travel, certainly.
1: Uh, so lean UCLA, not betting the side, I don't think. But I really like the under. Yeah, you have to keep Gonzaga out of transition. I don't. UC doesn't have a chance if Gonzaga gets to play their game, in my opinion. They just have a lack of depth, and, and Gonzaga's too good in transition. I agree, though, with their defense point. It's a major weakness. How long can they survive in this tournament with a subpar defense? It's the third worst in the tournament of teams left. I'll bring this up later with Miami as well. But the offense is the best in the country. They can, out of every single team left, they are the team that can simply outscore opponents and still win games here. And I think the injury to Jalen Clark has finally felt here for, for UCLA. Right. He'd be huge as a defender, a Pac-12 Defensive Player of the Year against Gonzaga. I don't think anybody can stop Drew Temme. But I do think UCLA can score as well against Gonzaga. Campbell, of course, yeah, senior okay. point guard. Haquez All-American. Bailey, he's a great scorer as well. Just not as potent as Gonzaga. I think it's going to be close back and forth. Cronin, no doubt, has a great game plan for this one. My heart wants Gonzaga, so I'm sticking
0: with Gonzaga here. One and a half, tough money line, I guess. Yeah, small lean there. Yeah, UCLA had 1.13 points per possession against a very vaunted Northwestern defense mm-hmm. with, again, that was with Singleton going down and, and Bona as well. So, I mean, it's basically three guys. It's Bailey, Bay- Hawkes, Campbell. It's a three-man show for the Bruins at this point. So, they're up yep. against it. All right, let's shift to Friday, guys. Four more great games here, starting with Alabama,
1: San Diego State, 6.30 p.m. Eastern tip in Louisville. Louisville. Alabama, guys, is no doubt the favorite in this game. Uh, a whopping drum please. Seven and a half points pretty much across the board. Some sevens out there as well. Total 136 and a half, 137. Jim, start with you. What do you think? Alabama's rolling, man. It, it, they have figured it out. They put Javon Quinterly
2: into the starting lineup five games ago in the SEC tournament. And they have beaten five straight NCAA tournament teams by 19 or more. Just Heesh. running them out of the gym. That includes Texas A&M, pretty good team. Mississippi State, a play-in team. Maryland, 7-8, 8-9 eight, uh, eight, seed. This is the best team they played in that stretch if you go by seed. But I still just believe Alabama is a skyrocketing force right now. If you want to back San Diego State, maybe you do it first half. But, Matt, I think the fade mountain west is still a little bit in order. Uh, San Diego State barely crept by the first round, barely covered against Charleston. I think they got an awesome matchup second round in Furman that just couldn't withstand their physicality. This is where the Aztecs run into trouble for me. I try to make an argument they keep it close. Maybe they do for a little bit, but I think the depth potency of Alabama wears them down and perhaps even get a slightly healthier Brandon Miller, who has not been efficient yet this tournament. Suddenly he could have a big
0: game and, and this turns into a runaway. So I lean the tide even at seven and a half. I almost wish they would arrest him more. The last uh, last weekend, they didn't really need him. Um, And this is kind of the theme with Alabama: is like, yeah, Brandon Miller is amazing, but uh, you know that he played basically was a nothing burger against uh, who was that against Corpus Christi, zero Mm -hmm. points, and they ran away against Mizzou in the SEC tournament semis, one of thirteen. Quinerly and Sears from three combined um, one by eleven, right? Like, there's so much potency in terms of offensive firepower; they can score inside out. And there's never going to be a situation where you're going to get like Brandon Miller and Quinerly and Sears and the other guys not hitting. And if they're not, they still have the defense to back them up and keep them in this. Like, there's just so many like layers of protection that can keep them from losing. Um, and not just losing, but also covering spreads. Like, it's just hard to find an avenue that Sadio State can really exploit here. Maybe just their general identity and physicality um, and p- the potential upside that those guards have this season. Like, maybe this is the game where Matt Bradley comes out and, you know, torches the Nets. Trammell makes some really tough shots. Uh, Butler gets out in transition, maybe make some stuff happen in the open core. He could thrive in this type of up and down game. I don't know, though, man, like if you're betting against Alabama, I think you're really trying to find something that's just not there.
1: Yeah, I, I think San Diego State tends to fare better when it can win the athlete and the physicality battle, and you really can't do either against Alabama. Just, just not going to happen. So they're going to try to muck it up. San Diego State does have a great defense, but I think Bama is just too talented. And this offense for San Diego State is definitely better than the offenses we're used to seeing from the Aztecs but it's still prone to stagnation. Bama has a top three defense <laughs> in the country. It's just a really tough matchup for them. So the spread's about right, in my opinion. Yeah, maybe a slightly into Alabama. It's very hard for me to see San Diego State winning this game outright. Yeah, they their offense down the stretch of games just turns into muck. It, mm-hmm. it is like, what are
2: we doing? Just Matt Bradley kind of like spinning, 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 trying to get down the lane and then fading away yeah. from 16 feet or whatever. It, it's... It's not, not work. It's not pretty. Not Yeah, definitely not against Bama.
1: Matt Bradley, not exactly a long player. Um, pretty compact, Matt Bradley yes. against this Alabama defense. All right, next game here in Kansas City. It's Houston versus Miami. 7 15 p.m. Eastern tip. Matthew, going to you first thoughts. Canes, wait, canes and Ooh. Houston. The spread is also
0: a seven, leader. seven and a half. Basically the same seven. spread we
1: saw for Bama, San Diego State. Seven,
0: seven and a half. Pretty similar to total two. 137.5, 138. Yeah. Houston with Sasser back was partly impressive, partly uh concerning, I guess, if you're talking about Houston's title prognosis and the dominant team, dominant force that we saw for most of the year, although we, you know, some cracks emerged in some spots. I do think some cracks emerged last game. Um, defensively. Not all as as organized as I thought. I know Auburn made some tough shots there. Um, but the fact that they were down against a team I don't like in Auburn, Sasser's second game back, um, while he should have played better this game, um, he still isn't 100% healthy, I don't believe. And just the fact that he had that long layoff gives me a little bit of the heebie-jeebies because this offense, Houston needs him badly. Maybe not against Miami, maybe not against a shorter, more brittle front line, but whatever they get supplementing on the second third chance opportunities, I think Miami can also get into gaps on on the offensive end and actually make shots. Even though Houston's defense is renowned, I just think Miami's elite shot making can help negate that. The general theme: great offense beats great defense. Miami has two great offensive players okay. that, if they're on, doesn't matter how good defense Houston plays. Like I think they're going to be right there to cover the seven. I actually like the dog here, Jim, and that's kind of a cover your eyes bet going against Houston. But um, I don't think they're as invincible as they looked a couple weeks ago. He yeah, played well. pretty well, man. He, was he played awesome well. He game. was great. He was it's great. Awesome. Yeah,
2: yeah. The the second half was like. Oh, this is this is Houston 50 to 23 against Auburn, like just absolutely (laughs) demolished them. They sucked the life out of somebody called it like an antaconda, just squeezing the life out of Auburn. And and they did that while also getting a great offensive game from Mark from Sasser. Mark's kind of the swing guy. Like if you get the contributions on the ball from him, especially with Shedd and Sasser banged up. Suddenly this team is unstoppable. I had rewatched them play Oral Roberts way, way back early in the season. And Mark was running a lot of ball screens, pulling up in the mid range, kind of brought that same thing to the Auburn game. That's huge. I think Houston's going to get a ton on the offensive glass. Miami, not great on the defensive glass. I know they just absolutely punked Indiana on the, on the boards, like 48 to 31 got more than half their misses against that Indiana front line. That is wild. I don't think they're going to have the same success here. Houston's not a dominant defensive rebounding team, but they are offensively. They're much more physical. They're going to be tuned into what Miami's trying to do on the O glass, and there's no nobody bigger on Miami to take advantage of the Houston bigs being like six seven six eight. So, despite being uh, well, I think Houston wins, Kai. But I yeah. do think the the potency of the Miami guards makes me lean that way on the spread getting seven.
1: Yeah, and, and I'm going to pose the defensive question again I did with Gonzaga. How long can Miami last having an, a defense that ranks outside the top 100 nationally? Because Houston can score 1.27 points per possession against Auburn is no joke. They they have talent, skill, and, of course, extreme toughness and physicality. I do think it's going to be a pretty huge advantage on the glass for them offensively. Arguably the best offensive rebounding team in the country against the defensive rebounding squad in Miami. It's not been that great this season on that end. O'Meara is great, but I just think Houston has too much size up front, can outmuscle muscle him. And their defense, of course, Houston incredible. Can harass Miami's group of guards. Can Miami's group of guards shoot over the top? Absolutely, and, and march marches the guards game. But good luck if those shots aren't falling um, for Miami because you're not going to get buckets inside. I think the line's about right here. I'm rooting for the Cougs for futures purposes, um, but I would not be surprised if Miami kept it close and, and covered seven. I think Houston moves on.
2: Yeah, sneaky injury note, Wooga Poplar, who's actually been pretty good for Miami. Yeah, been good. Has yet to practice this week per the Miami Herald as of Wednesday morning. Maybe he gets in there by Friday, but I do think they need him. That's a lot of Bensley Joseph and, and some of the bigger lineups they have to play with
0: Miller. Yeah. Uh, I think they need Poplar. He's actually been really, really good for him. Yeah. Probably the most physical defensive guard. Like you need a kind of a counter against Houston. So that's a good point. All right. Nightcap fellas in Louisville, Louisville, Brayton. Princeton
1: 9 p.m. Eastern Creighton favored by nine and a half. I do see a 10 out there and I'm telling you right now, Matthew, I grabbed the 10 for Princeton Tigers. Yes, sir.
0: Do you agree with me? What do you think? Uh, I'm torn on this one. I tend to agree. I thought that NC state would be better at exploiting the uh, Ryan Kalkreiter drop coverage and just try and put a bunch of ball screens at him and did hope those guards make shots. Um, I think, Princeton makes or they come at it that will come out from like a little bit different of an angle, right? Like with Tosan as their quasi five, the way he can bring it up and transition, the way they can kind of use him as a, a trigger man on offense. Wait, can and, I can I can I take
2: issue? Sh- I don't think he's their five. Like Kelman is pretty obviously their five,
0: right? Yeah, sorry. I guess he is. He's like yeah, I guess he's positionless five. But I still view him as like their five. But you're right. I guess Kelman is really their five. But Do they play him if, think, at five,
1: though, occasionally? They'll throw him at a five, right?
0: Yeah, if they go small, like when Kelman's off the floor for sure. Yeah. So I yeah, guess to your point, you think Hawk will be on um on Kelman. That's that's probably fair. I think you see a lot more Tosan at five. I think if they, uh, Henderson's yes, they should do they're that, gonna yeah. come out with one more smaller look, like it just don't match up with the bigger guy and don't look them in the mirror. Try and do something different to Thor that they have. If they can do that, I really like Princeton's chance to score here. Um, because Tosan in the open floor is like fantastic, great passer Uh, in the way Princeton has shot the ball, which actually hasn't been that great, right? One of these mid-major teams like FAU that's actually made the run despite not being white-hot from three. You know, they blew by uh, your Missouri Tigers without making outside shots uh, just because they got so many good open looks. Craig's more more disciplined defensively. Um, I'm with Kai, though. It just felt big. A little too big for me, Jim.
2: Maybe a tad high. I don't know. I think Princeton benefited from playing two teams that need to run. Both Arizona and Mizzou love transition game, especially if they can force turnovers on the Mizzou side, and Princeton took care of the ball. Kind of cut them at the knees offensively They're forced them to execute in the half court. I think Creighton's better in the half court than either Arizona or Mizzou. Uh, they, they have played really effectively through Kalkbrenner pick and roll so far. Nemhard had the monster game against Baylor. Uh, Kalkbrenner dominated the opening round matchup with NC State. You mentioned the defensive discipline of Creighton. They forced Flagler and Cryer into a combined 21 twos last round. And in the opening round, Joyner and Turk Smith took 35 twos uh, against this defense. They run you off the line. They kind of force you into that mid range, make you challenge Clark Brenner, who just never fouls. He's perfect with his verticality. I think this is a much tougher matchup for Princeton. So I, I tend to agree. The numbers is, is a bit high, but I I think Creighton is rolling right now, and as long as they don't do anything silly with their shot selection, I I think they can actually cover this game. So split on the the 10, but um, definitely lean towards the under, by the way. I think Princeton continues to just turn games into a grind.
1: Yeah, to the 4-5 debate. So Kelman's played 15 minutes per game last two games. They played a lot of Zach Martini against Arizona. A little foul trouble, but they also just chose to play him against Mizzou. There could be matchups you might actually need. Kelman more against Kochbrenner, but I guess if they didn't do it against Arizona, you can get away with it again. Um, yeah, I, I've said it all tournament. Princeton offense, very tough to prep against. Creighton has a little more time to do that, but I still think it's hard to prep in practice for all the cutting, the counters, uh, the intricacies of the offense. I think it's just tough to do. Maybe first half is where you look for Princeton again, like you did against Arizona. Of course, they won the game outright eventually. Um, I just think it's simply too, much, too many points for the pace that I think it'll be played at. I agree with Jim's uh, under angle. I do think Tosan will be a tough matchup for even Kaluma. If that ends up being the matchup, I mean, he's just a great player. He's a tough matchup for anybody. Creighton does run teams off the line, but Princeton with those cuts, I don't know, maybe they're okay with that. And it's just a weird dynamic. I don't know if Creighton's seen a a cutting team quite as good as this. Maybe Marquette would would be up there as well. Jays obviously have the talent edge, athleticism edge. I do think they're going to win. Just tends a little bit too much for me. So I, I did take the Princeton Tigers here against the spread. All right, last game, fellas. We're going back to Kansas City for Xavier in Texas. 9.45 p.m. Eastern tip. This one is 4, 4.5 in favor of the Longhorns just about everywhere you look. Starting with Jim, what do you got here?
2: Boy, this version of Texas is really good. Um, since the Big 12 tournament where Timmy Allen missed, they're getting Dylan DeSue playing at basically All-American levels. Last five games, averaging 18 and 9 in 26 minutes. That was always kind of the knock. is all right, Where do they get easy, consistent buckets from the paint? They had great guard play, especially with the emergence of Serge Bari Rice. But if DeSue is going to do this, whew, look out, man. That is That makes Texas really deadly. It was impressed with what they did down the stretch against Penn State when they took a 10-0 punch. And responded with a 10-0 run right back, retook the lead, retook control. There was some spread drama late in that game with shot making from North or uh, from uh, Penn State, but Texas still managed to get the victory. Looking at player props, DC's up to 13 and a half. Uh, people are very on to how well he's playing. I don't know if I would strongly recommend that, but he has been dominant lately. Going against Jack Nungey, that's a pretty tough matchup as well. Matt, who do you trust more from a perimeter playmaking, shot-making perspective?
0: Sule Boom and Adam Kunkel, or Marcus Carr and Serge Ibari Rice? Texas Rice is the X factor for me. Like, the emergence of Rice, the emergence of D.C. is why Texas went from fringe top 10-ish for me to, like, probably the second-best team behind Bama at this point. Um, Because D.C. gets you some on the defensive end, too, right? He's the rim protector they didn't really have. So their defense is lifted, their offensive balance is lifted, D.C. has had favorable matchups, I will say that, in his recent run. He's been awesome. But now he gets a Xavier front line, which isn't as vaunted in terms of just pure size without Fremantle, but it's still bigger. It's tougher, right? Sean Miller, Hunter, Nunji, you know They're not soft. Colby Jones, I know, plays on the perimeter, but like they're a little tougher, I think. Um, but I think their guards are weak defensively on the perimeter, right? We saw Kennesaw run circles around them, getting every shot they wanted for 35 minutes. I think this is a big Marcus Carr, big Jabari Rice, big Tyrese Hunter game. I think the guards for Texas are the differentiator for me here. Um, and I think they win. I think this is probably the best bet in the first round for me. Yeah, that's the first round, Matthew. I, it's oh. it's yeah, close to my minus favorite four. I think I'd lay it up to like six. I really would. I think they. Just, I think they take Xavier the woodshed. Yeah. Yeah. Uh
1: We've talked about Xavier's defense has been a little bit better lately, though, right They They've kind of retooled, figured it out since Fremantle has been out. But yeah, can it stand up to Texas? I don't know. I agree. Texas is scary. Good. Super old. Tons of weapons in the backcourt. You guys mentioned Dsu. suit. Yeah, he, he if he plays at this level. I agree. They might be the second best team in the country behind Alabama. Of course, I always have Houston up there as well. Xavier has shooting to their advantage. They have a knockdown group of shooters. You know, one of the best three point shooting teams in the country. Always the equalizer. But Texas, I think, can cause some issues back there in the backcourt. Boom, Kunkle and Jones. They're fantastic. They're not immune to turnovers. They're an experienced group, but they're not immune to getting a little flustered back there. Weird question. Does Texas have an answer for Nunji? Nunji has been a very impressive guy for me. He can shoot. He can score in the post. He's a legit seven feet. DC's been great. He has a shot blocker, but I weirdly think Nunji has a nice matchup in this one. Um, I do think Sean Miller is a much better coach than Rodney Terry. No offense to Rodney Terry. I don't know, guys. I kind of lean towards Xavier here. Am I crazy? Am I nuts?
2: Yeah, Yeah, you're, you're crazy. Thinking. Get out of here. Wow. Wow. I, yeah. Texas feels like closer to Kennesaw than to Pitt where there's a bunch of athletes and physicality mm-hmm. and guards that can make True. plays. Um, Pitt is more guard audience, not as physical in the paint. I, I, I agree with you. Nanji might be you know, worth a look in, in a player prop market or something because DC doesn't have the same size as him. Mm-hmm. But I think the way Jerome Hunter has been playing, maybe that could be a little inflated. 10 and a half. I was thinking it'd be higher given yeah. how how much he's scoring. Hunter's uh, been awesome late.
1: too, by the way. Yep. Yeah. No, oh, he's been really dominant. Good. That's why I was really thinking, good. I was
2: hoping it would be like, 13 and a half for his prop mark, and you could take yeah. the under in points there. But uh, no, I'm, I'm, with, I'm with Matt. Texas and Kai is
1: crazy, and, and we're going <laughs> to pillage him if, if this game yeah. works out in our favor. Hey, to be fair, Kempom, Texas, top 15 in both offense and defense. Nothing to sneeze at. I'm not sure how many teams in the country can claim that. Maybe two other ones. Yeah, it, it, that's insane. Uh, all right, fellas. Hey, good podcast. Thank you out there for joining us on the BBOC uh, <laughs> Big Bets on Campus podcast presented by MGM. Once again, we will see you guys next time for a special final four episode next week. Yes, sir. The final four is coming up very, very soon in Houston, but till then good luck in your sweet 16 and your lead eight bets. And again, enjoy watching college basketball.